Our first reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, where it says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. And our second reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours. So far our readings. There we are. Thank you, Jeff and everyone else, and good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be with you again, and uh, we shared that as we prayed before the service. Uh, We certainly, from Pathway to Life's uh, perspective, I think your perspective as well, it's just fantastic that we get to do some preaching, teaching, growing, training, all sorts of stuff together. We always hold to that in theory, but it's nice to be doing it in practice more and more, and we are absolutely thrilled. Uh, that we get to do this with you. So thank you again uh, to allow me to be here. Let me ask a question to start with. It's a question based on an assumption about money and the question is, why do you or I want money or why do you want more money? I mean, I'm assuming that, like in my life, in your life, at a subconscious level, that's something we kind of always want. We always tend to think, you know, it'd be nice if we could have more money. (laughs) Um, It's sort of the way we're almost expected to think in our culture and in our world. And as with all things that we reflect on, that we consider the best question to ask ourselves is, is that question that reveals motives and our hearts. It's the question, why? Why is it that we would want that? For ourselves, for our churches, uh, why? I'm going to unpack really only this one proverb that we read. I'll, I'll make mention of a number of others that deal with money in, in Proverbs. But Proverbs 10 verse 22 that we read I think tells us that money is going to bring about two things, one of two things in your life that gets upheld in this proverb. Um, Firstly, money and more money in your life could bring to you the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord, Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, brings wealth. Money can be an absolute blessing of the Lord. Uh, Wealth can come and be in your life the blessing of the Lord. And this can be true for you uh, in, in, in one of two ways. Firstly, you know, money can be the blessing of the Lord if you need more money for the life that God has intended for you to live. And this is really talking about that whole conversation about needs versus wants. But I expect that there'd be people here today uh, 
who legitimately need more money. You could look at your life and say, my needs are not covered. What is considered perhaps basic by, by our standards, uh, bills can't get paid, I'm struggling to put food on the table, um, there's health needs that are unmet or uncovered. Uh, those are, at a very basic level, needs, things that we could look at a person and say, you know, we need that. Now, I think Proverbs 10.22 wants to tell us that, you know, money in some ways is the, the blessing of the Lord to cover those things. You may approach God with certainty and assurance and a sense of confidence that uh, God, God's desire, God's design with money is that uh, you should have enough for what you need. God wants to bless you for what you need when it comes to money. That's one way in which money can be a blessing to us, purely just meeting our needs. And then there's a second way that I want to talk about. Money can be a blessing. Wealth can bring the blessing of the Lord, not only in receiving money for things that we need, but in giving money to others who are in need. And this is kind of now a big topic that we venture into. Uh, you know, when we talk about giving money in the Christian life, we, the first thing that we think of is the issue of tithing, giving my money away. Tithing, if you're, if you're not a Christian or a new Christian or unfamiliar with the practice, I'm not going to unpack it in any great length of depth, but basically this is what Christians have done for uh, millennia and centuries. We've kind of worked out from Old Testament um, teachings mainly that it's a good practice to take roughly about a tenth, this is what they did in the olden days with, with their harvests, uh, and we apply that to our income, roughly about a tenth of your income, uh, set that apart as a tithe. Give that to um, the work of the Lord, so to speak. Typically for most Christians that would boil down to giving that to the work of your local church, uh, it could be given and extended to other organisations, other things that God is doing in our world that needs resourcing. But that's sort of the, the 10% rule. It's a, it's, a, it's a good rule, it's a, it's a good practice, it's a, it's a healthy thing, uh, it's encouraged and uh, it is not the only thing that we should do <laughs> when it comes to giving. You see, here's the thing, we tend to think as Christians quite often that once I've given my tithe of whatever it is that you decide to tithe or to give to your local church, I've, I've done my business with God. It's, it's completed. I've, I've given to God what's, what's God's and the rest now is for me to steward uh, within my and my family's life. I want to put to you something different this morning. Uh, certainly if, if money is to be and to bring the blessing of the Lord to us. I think there's something else to consider when it comes to this issue of, of giving. And to, to introduce you to that, I want to tell you a story, the story of John Wesley. Most of you would know John Wesley as the hymn writer. He was also an evangelist, quite a, uh, a successful 
fruitful missionary, preacher and teacher. John Wesley grew up extremely poor. Uh, His father was in prison twice for defaulting on debts uh, to feed his family. I think there was something like 19 children in the family. And um, he grew up in that environment feeling that he wanted to escape it. He, he was sick of it, of the life of poverty. And so he became quite successful as a scholar at uh, Oxford in England. And he lived the high life for a while. He really took to smoking, drinking, gambling, just lived it up. And rumour, not rumour, um, fact has it, in his own words, that one day as he was hanging up pictures in his room at Oxford, a chambermaid came to clean and she was shivering of cold. Uh, She didn't have enough clothing to keep her warm. And it struck him. He realised something is hugely wrong here. I am hanging up pictures to adorn my room and this person is freezing of cold. And we're not sure whether that was the big change in John Wesley's life or just a big moment in his life, but certainly his relationship to to God and his relationship to money changed drastically over the course of his life. What John Wesley did is he worked out a budget. Most of us have budgets, but he did a very particular budget. He sat down. And he said, I'm going to work out exactly how much money I need in order to live. Now, we're not sure what John Wesley included in that need. You know, did he include a few pints a week in that? Did he, how, how austere was what he needed? Did he bring it back down to just above the breadline? I don't think so. I think he was quite generous in what he worked out and what he needed. Comfortable, all his needs well and truly provided for. I think so. He worked out, how much do I need to live? And for him, it came down to 28 pounds. Now, this is going back in the 1700s, I think. So 28 pounds, he reckoned he could have lived a pretty uh, comfortable life, well provided for. He earned, at that stage, 30 pounds a year. So he said, that's fine, I'll live off 28, I can give the two away. That is, to us pretty understandable, we'd go, yep, makes sense, get that. Now here's where it gets really interesting with John Wesley. <laughs> in the second year, uh, we could probably pull that slide up of that budget if we, yeah, take a look at the figures now. In the second year of his life at Oxford, he earned 60 pounds, he said, I could still live off 28 pounds, gave away 32 pounds. And so it goes on. Third year, he earned 90 pounds, still reckon he could live off 28 gave away 62. Fourth year, 120, still lived off 28, gave away 92 pounds. If you were to hazard a guess how much John Wesley earned towards the end of his life, I tell you what, I was blown away when I heard the figures. (laughs) He earned, by the end of his life, over 1,400 pounds. He, towards the end in this budget, decided he would live off 30 pounds and he gave away over 1,400 pounds. Yeah, I, I just think that is remarkable and sound and wise and perhaps one of the 
best ways in which money can be and bring the blessing of the Lord, not only to John Wesley, but to whoever and whatever else he invested in significantly in God's kingdom coming into our world, the blessing of the Lord. I think, personally, and and I'll, I'll, I'll ground this in scripture a little bit later on, for now I just want to put it out that I don't think John Wesley's life was an exception. I think his life in some way points us to what should be the standard for the Christian life and our relationship to money if it's going to bring and be the blessing of the Lord. From John Wesley, from the generous widow in one of Jesus' parables, from Jesus' own life himself as people who had a relationship with money that brought the blessing of the Lord, flowed immense blessing to themselves and through them to others. This is what money is supposed to do, what it's supposed to bring. I think that's what the Proverbs are teaching us. Just before I move on, I just want to sidestep a little bit. Some of you might be thinking, And I had this last week after I preached this sermon in Pathway. And this is the beauty of preaching things twice because if you get the second time around, you get the better version uh, (laughs) with a lot of problems (laughs) worked out, you know. Um, Just in conversations afterward, it was really interesting to hear from people saying, look, I struggle with, you know, is this cup of coffee that I'm having, uh, the Lego or the whatever gun I want to buy, should I feel guilty about that? Um, how do I work that out? And, 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 you know, we almost then, often in Christian culture, develop this mindset that it's wrong to uh, generate wealth or excess or, or expand profits or, or your income or whatever. And there are a couple of things that I thought, I, I mean, I can just clarify that today. I, I don't think we should. Firstly, I've already mentioned, I think John Wesley, I think, I'm speculating, but I think he was generous to himself in what he considered he needed. He needed recreation, he needed fun things, it was part of the picture. Um, Secondly, it's remarkable in his story that God was not against him generating extreme measures of wealth. (laughs) God is not against anyone of us generating extreme excesses of wealth. We often think, and I think it shows something perhaps about some dormant legalism that always lives in us, we go, what must I give up? How is this going <laughs> to spoil me? Am I fun- why, why isn't the first thing that we think of, you know, how can I, if, if you're business savvy, take $2,000 today, invest it in a, in a, in a share portfolio, in, a, in an index fund that through compounding after 40 years will be worth $180,000 and I take my $2,000 back and give the rest to the church. Why don't we think proactively like that about money? You know, we, I think what the Proverbs wants to tell us is work with it. God is not against uh, excess money or, or large wealth, sums of wealth and money. What God is extremely interested in is our answer to the question, why? Why do we want more money? Is our pursuit the blessing of the Lord? Or is our pursuit what we want, what we can get? 
who is worshipped, as Katrina pointed out this morning. That's, that's the question that we just need to bring to our relationship with money always. Is this bringing the blessing of the Lord or is it not? It can and God-given wealth and money will always bring God's blessing. Whether it's for our own use or whether it's for the use of others. That's, that's the Proverbs teaching. All right, let me move on. Money can do one of two things. Bring the blessing of the Lord or the complete opposite. Ray Oldland is a writer. He says this, When you make money by the blessing of the Lord, you don't have to bend the rules. You can keep your promises. You do not have to overwork yourself. Your conscience can stay clear and you can make enough money to share with others, which is joyful. There is no sorrow in that. There should be no sorrow in our lives brought about by money. And so often there is. Money can bring about four sorrows in your life and Ray Ortland gives us these. Number one, there's the sorrow of controlling others. Proverbs 11 verse 26. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Isn't that an interesting proverb? don't know if you ever play the game Settlers of Catan. Anyone knows that board game Settlers of Catan? You know, you sometimes you've got to trade resources and commodities with other players and you get always that stingy player who wants to hold on to all their stuff. They don't want to trade any of their grain or any of their other stuff and no one likes them. They're the worst players in the game. <laughs> you know, you're one of them, aren't you? <laughs> um, in real life this happens. We have, we have so many people who, who, who just, in terms of needs, water, um, other things, just hoard, just gains, controls others by mean of hoarding wealth and resources and commodities and excesses. I think of even in our region how a lot of our Pacific neighbour nations are exploited with real bad loans from other countries and, and they are being controlled. Money controls them. There's no desire to help them flourish, to help them reach their full potential, it's to control them. How often our Western economies are controlling others by us controlling and hoarding the resources and the money. How often money is used to control others in, in relationships, to control children, to control an ex-partner. It brings us sorrow. It is a sorrow when money is used to control others. Money can bring the sorrow of conflict. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. The word for greedy in that proverb is closely connected in Hebrew to having a huge appetite, large appetite. I'm aware that uh, often when people struggle with substance abuse, uh, when, you're, when you're hooked 
to a substance, you know, there's that, that wideness of appetite where a substance abuser, and if you've been one, you'd know how horrible and challenging and difficult this is, would stop at nothing to gain access to the substance to which they're addicted. This is what money can do to us. People will stop at nothing, will trample on relationships, trample on time with children, trample on all sorts of values, sell their souls for, for wanting money and the conflict that that causes is incredible. Money can bring great conflict. Number three, there's the sorrow of confusion. A wicked pers- person earns deceptive wages but the one who sows righteousness reaps a true, sure reward. The words deceptive wages can be translated wages that are a lie. (laughs) You think you'll be happy when you reach this much money. We think we'll be happy when we're self-funded and retired, when we're 50 or 45, we don't have to work, and often we're not. Money will lie. (laughs) It will not be to you all you think it would be. God brings happiness and God alone brings happiness. That's the truth. There's a sorrow of corruption. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. God hates cheating. He hates lying. He hates quoting on a job more than what it's worth. He hates us paying someone less than a job is worth. Be honest. I, I hate buying houses. I've had to do that a couple of times in my life and I really hate that whole negotiating and bargaining and stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, but I just struggle with it sometimes because you don't know. That's the whole question. Is this an honest price for this? Is it, you know, uh, you don't know. And, and whatever we do in our business dealings and those sorts of things, this proverb is just saying that God loves us to be honest, open, fair income when it comes to money, always. All right, these are just four ways. Uh, Corruption, confusion, conflict, control, ways in which money does not bring the blessing of the Lord, it purely just brings sorrow, just makes life worse. Now let me finish off for today. Money is a sensitive issue. And yet, Jesus, <laughs> the thing he spoke about most in life was the kingdom of God in his time on earth. That's the one subject he always spoke about. The thing he spoke about second most was money. <laughs> it's ironic that in some way this is a complete taboo subject for us. We as Christians in the West often just would not come near it. And let me finish with just a story that I want to read. There's a place in the New Testament where we read this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. This sounds so good. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shan't steal. You shan't give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, I've done all these things since I was a boy. This guy was deeply interested in God. Deeply interested, I think, at this stage in following Jesus. Had a real deep desire for it. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. The NIV 2011 says. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away, sad, because he had great wealth. Isn't it sad? His face fell. He stood before Jesus, saw the living Lord, and he turned away. Just couldn't do it. Just couldn't accept that. And here's the thing that I think that person missed. The one thing that we must not miss when it comes to Jesus. And it's in 1 Corinthians Chapter 3 for today. You know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he doesn't talk about money, but I think what he talks about helps us to deal with where we sit with money. He says to them, In Christ, all things are yours, whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All things are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. That rich young ruler, what he failed to see is what we often fail to see, the value of Jesus. Jesus is so valuable. The greater the extent to which we can comprehend how valuable Christ is, the easier and the easier and the easier I think it gets for us to look at our relationship with money and say, in light of how valuable Christ is to me, who I have, who is mine and whose I am, sure, I'll do with my money whatever Christ wants me to do with it. And there we can embark on much more biblical teaching on what does he want us to do with it. But that's the heart. I understand that Jesus is valuable. And because he is, maybe I can live by John Wesley's advice. This is the tagline. John Wesley said, this is how the Christians relate to money. Earn all you can, Save all you can. Give all you can. Let's pray. Jesus, you are of incredible worth. And we confess that so often we just struggle to, to see that, to know that, to be reminded of it. Sometimes it just slips off our radar. I just pray that for myself, that for each and every single one of us here, um, enlarge our understanding of your value and your worth and that we have all things in you already. And I ask that that would do one thing in us, just define our relationship with money. I pray that none here would turn away from you in sadness because of money. Rather, just overcome that in us by the power of your Spirit.
draw us and so fill us that we would gladly make the investments in heaven that you want us to make, whatever that may be. I ask for great blessing in this church when it comes to money. Provide for those who need. And Lord, stir great generosity in those who can give and can give more and make more to give more. Great creativity, great ambition to invest in the kingdom of God and grow the kingdom of God. We pray for that in Jesus' name.